0: Frank Ling and I'm Charles Lee, and you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at world science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Dr. Roy A. Meals will join us to discuss bones. So stay tuned for all of this, plus the Grokatron 5000, and our world famous question a week. Coming right up here on the Grok's Science Show. The Grox Science Show. Well, bones. Few may stop to think about how much they support every part of us and how miraculous they really are. Well, joining us today to discuss the remarkable facets of bones is Dr. Roy A. Meals. Dr. Meals is a clinical professor of orthopedic surgery at UCLA He's the author of several medical books, practiced, researched, and taught hand surgery for 40 years, and is president of the American Society for Surgery of the Hand. He's also on the editorial board of the Journal of Hand Surgery. He has penned the new book, Bones, Inside and Out. And he joins us today to discuss bones. And Dr. Meals, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Well,
1: my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Well, great book you have here, Bones, Inside and Out, in which you really talk about the fascinating aspects of bones. And curious why you decided to put this book together.
1: Well, I've been thinking about it indirectly my whole life. I was always interested in natural history growing up and so naturally became a biology major in college and then went to medical school and decided I wanted to be a surgeon and was attracted to orthopedic surgery just because of my experiences growing up in the workshop and putting things together and taking things apart and found out that I could actually get paid to drill and saw at work in the operating room. I've also just sort of always had an innate uh, interest in uh, teaching. I get excited about the things that I learn and get excited about teaching other people. Uh, One of your recent guests commented that you really couldn't teach something until you could teach it to your grandmother in non-technical terms, and I totally agree with that. And So that my interest in living bone extends over my whole orthopedic career. And then as I realized that there might be a book in this and that I would have fun uh, teaching people not only about bone that's inside of them while it's living, which I call the the section, the first section of the book on concealed bone, but then also bone has a second life after its original owner has uh, finished with it. And that then hinges into paleontology, archaeology, even fine art and popular culture. And so the second part of the book is called Bone Revealed. So I began blogging about bone at my blog site about bone.com about three years ago and then acquired a an agent about two years ago and then she helped me make a contract with W.W. Uh, w. Norton for the book, and that was about 18 months ago. I had no idea that it would take uh, that long for a general readership a book to go through the process, but they've moved right along, and we're happy to have it come out this month, and coincidentally, it just happens to be Happy Halloween Month, and so there's some uh, synergy there in terms of uh, talking about bones now.
0: As you mentioned, two parts. First talk about living bone, put it in something that most people might not realize how much bone actually does, but it really has a lot of functions as a living structure.
1: Uh, Absolutely. We're learning more about that all the time. One of the analogies I draw in the book is I call the bone the federal reserve of calcium, that the, the calcium level in our blood is very carefully controlled by the parathyroid glands and their hormones and vitamin D but the heart is very sensitive to even minor changes in the calcium level in the blood and so that if the heart starts to get a little bit crampy then the hormones call on a bone to supplement the calcium in the blood particularly if there's not sufficient calcium coming in from the diet and so it's kind of a banking system the uh, Thyroid glands, I consider them the um, bank masters, and they control the uh, flow of, of calcium. But bone has some hormonal effects as well on the body, and those are just beginning to be understood. But it, it's a, a remarkable living structure. You know, and the interesting thing is that if I just stopped somebody on the street and said, what's your image of bone, I think most of us would visualize a parched-out white cow skull on the desert floor. But that, as a living tissue, it is remarkable. For one thing, not only does it heal fractures, but that even if it's stressed to the point that it's not fractured, but that repeatedly stressed is that it will respond to the stresses that are put upon it and get stronger. For instance, if somebody takes up tennis in a robust way, and then six months later, they have a bone density test of their dominant upper limb, is it, it will have become stronger you know, just from the impact of the repeated activity playing tennis. And so then that plays into the role of walking and the prevention of osteoporosis because the repeated stress of walking and carrying body weight on our lower legs and particularly our hips and our spine is that that stimulates the bone cells to remodel the bone and to make it strong in the necessary areas to prevent fracture. Then of course after menopause when the female hormones no longer protect the bone in that way then it tends to become weak and that's what we know as osteoporosis and so It's particularly important for older people to have regular exercise in terms of stimulating the bone to stay strong so that they don't end up getting a fragility fracture. And a hip fracture in an old person, even though it's not lethal by itself, is that only 50% of elderly people after a hip fracture will ever recover their pre injury level of independent activity and that 20% of people with a hip fracture will die within the first year. And not from the hip fracture itself, of course, but from general debilitation, possible pneumonia, urinary tract infections, and things that happen when the people lie down. So yes, uh, bone is uh, far more than just a dry skull on the desert. And even though it's just a quarter inch away from us and we can feel it over our body, is it, it has uh, far more import than just uh, structurally supporting us.
0: Much like the rest of our body begins to decline with age, and yet not as appreciated because of its somewhat hidden and concealed nature is
1: probably underappreciate all aspects of our body until something goes wrong with them. But if uh, certainly if you break a bone or uh, develop some arthritis, then you begin to appreciate it. And the other thing, too, is that, you know, we never see our our own bone, and most of us hope never to see our own bone, but that uh, it is right there under the skin, and it's incredibly durable. It grows uh, as we uh, develop as adolescents, and that uh, then it tries to maintain itself the best it can, and we can help it out regularly, uh, stimulating it with regular walking.
0: The history of medical interventions into bone,
1: well, I think in terms of the hormonal control of bone, is it, that probably goes back even into the 18th and 19th century because even though we weren't able to assay for thyroid hormone or cortisol levels or estrogen at that time is that the careful observers at that time could see what the effect on the body was if somebody did not have a thyroid gland or if they did not have their their ovaries. And so they could see the effects on all of the tissues of the body. And the same with vitamin D. You know, vitamin D wasn't actually discovered until the 1920s, but that uh, the, the effect of sunlight and the absence of sunlight was known well before that in, in determining of uh, whether or not somebody got rickets, for instance.
0: You've worked on bone for all these years and certainly have studied it quite extensively. I'm curious, is there anything that was particularly surprising to you dealing or studying with bone?
1: Well, in living bone, I think the most remarkable thing is that compared to any other building material is that it can remodel and strengthen. You know, if an engineer builds a bridge and then decides later on that it needs to be longer or decides later on that it needs to be able to sustain twice the load that it was designed for, is that there's no way to do that. But bone... Uh, because it responds to the mechanical stresses that it's uh, subjected to, is that it can uh, remodel and, and strengthen, and that that's the only tissue in the world that can do that. So that's amazing. The other thing about the way bone heals is that we cut our skin or cut our liver or cut a a tendon is that those tissues heal with scar tissue. The scar is never as strong as the original tissue and we can usually look on our bodies and see the uh, scars, the uh, reminders of uh, childhood uh, injuries and so forth. But remarkably, bone heals with bone and not with scar. And so given enough time, maybe six months in a child, maybe two years in adult, the bone is as equally strong as it was before injury. And it will uh, remodel to the point that given enough time, you take an X-ray of it, you don't even see where the fracture was. And so as a living material, it is truly remarkable. And then I learned a whole lot in the uh, section of the book on bone revealed in terms of the way bones fossilize and that uh, as long as people are going to be digging construction foundations and uh, digging cuts for roads and that as long as uh, uh, rivers erode and glaciers uh, subside is that fossilized bone will be turning up and this is an exciting prospect for paleontologists because uh, we have really just uh, scratched the surface in terms of turning up uh, fossilized uh, bone. Uh, And it's not practical to take a bulldozer out and take uh, a eight-foot layer off of the top of Nebraska, but that uh, as uh, natural forces erode the uh, overlying sediment, is it uh, more and more fossilized bones will become evident. And that uh, really, bones are our only link with ancient biology, ancient uh, living tissues. Because uh, all the other tissues from the dinosaurs and animals even older than the dinosaurs uh, they have uh, long disappeared. But our bones are the link to our uh, link to ancient uh, history. Then the way humans have uh, used uh, bones for their own. Uh, One great story that I enjoyed having grown up in the Midwest was that uh, there was a very lucrative uh, industry in the late 1800s as uh, settlers were uh, moving across the Great Plains and uh, as the uh, railroad lines uh, followed them. But it was at about this time in 1870, 1880, uh, that official policy of the federal government was to try to subdue the Indians. And one way to do that was to kill the bison they they depended on. And then the other thing is, as railroad lines uh, moved through, is that the bison were a problem for them because they'd stand on the tracks, particularly in the winter, particularly in a cut. In a hillside to get out of the wind, and that the locomotives uh, couldn't stop in a hurry, and so that uh, the bison proved to be dangerous to the uh, uh, railroads, and so that riflemen were hired to uh, shoot the bison from uh, the moving trains and as a result of these two policies is that bison skeletons uh, littered uh, the uh, prairie uh, sometimes after the bison was killed, their skins hide would be harvested, but it, uh, sometimes not. But then the rest of the body was just left to rot and then the skeleton would dry out. But at any rate, as the settlers moved out and the railroads came along, is that the settlers found that it was not only possible, but that it was actually very lucrative for them to you know, pick up the bison Uh, skeletons and take them to the rail line, and and then uh, they'd sell the bison bones, and the broker would uh, load them on the next passing train, and they would be sent back to Detroit or um, Chicago and ground into uh, fertilizer, bone, Has a lot of phosphorus in it, and phosphorus uh, is known to uh, stimulate plant uh, growth and flowering and robustness of the stems and so forth. So it's uh, been a very uh, popular uh, source of very useful fertilizer. So this was an industry that, at the time, was worth forty million dollars, which in today's uh, dollars is worth about a billion dollars, and it lasted about twenty years. And first of all, it expanded across a, a belt of Kansas and Nebraska, where uh, the rail line was going, but then as additional uh, rail lines uh, expanded uh, further into Alberta and uh, Saskatchewan. But then once the bones were picked up and weren't building any more rail lines, then this uh, very lucrative industry just uh, died out. And so that was a fun discovery for me brings to mind
0: you mentioned earlier the, the picture of bone as this dried out laying on a dusty sandy floor you know certainly the paintings of george o'keefe spring instantly to mind <laughs> of course <laughs> and uh, you, you know i mean bone really has sort of influenced a lot of you know artistic depiction of humanity well yes
1: i mean you look back as far as albrecht Durer he uh, has uh, an etching of a uh, human skull and then going through more recent history in art is that it seems like a lot of artists uh, uh, painted skulls. Uh, Van Gogh did, Cezanne, uh, Picasso. Uh, And uh, I think that they were fascinated with this uh, form, uh, not so much as a memento of death or the memento of the transience of life as they were by the a curved nature of the skull and this very stark contrast of uh, black and white and so it was a challenge and they accepted it very well to draw or paint a skull with the three-dimensional representation and the shading and that uh, some remarkable paintings came come from it. Uh, you mentioned Georgia O'Keeffe, and certainly she you know, lived in the Southwest and uh, used uh, bone as the uh, motif for a lot of her paintings. I think the epitome of use of bone uh, should go to Henry Moore. Uh, he moved out of London during World War II because his flat was uh, bombed out, and he moved to the country on what had previously been a pig farm, and. He would walk around the farm, and, as artists do, they pick up interesting objects uh, to then take into their studio to stimulate their creativity and so uh, he had access to a lot of pig bones and particularly the the vertebra and If you look at some of his abstract uh, sculptures, particularly his uh, reclining women series and then also look at the picture of a a vertebra out of a pig or a horse or a human is that a lot of the curves and the planes that that shade uh, one from the other is that once you know what a vertebra looks like, well, then you can see exactly where he got his idea for these uh, rather abstract uh, sculptures, but that nature says it all, and the artist uh, can do well by just mimicking nature.
0: What would you like people to take from the book, and
1: what's sort of the future of bone in medicine? Well, I make the point that bone is the world's best building material. It always has been, and it always will be, and that I suspect that, you know, having compared a bone in vertebrate animals to the other successful skeletal support systems, for instance, uh, calcium external shells on clams and snails or uh, chitin, external uh, skeletons on uh, insects and spiders. They all have their merits, but that uh, certainly there's been a long and healthy history of uh, bone. And I suspect that when we uh, contact the extraterrestrial, that in fact, they will have uh, skeletons of uh, bone for the same reasons that it's been so successful for us and amphibians and snakes and birds and every other sort of vertebrate fish, every other sort of vertebrate animal. And in terms of uh, humans, is yeah, there's a lot of work going on in terms of uh, artificial bone and uh, growth factors used to uh, stimulate bone growth in uh, difficult-to-heal fractures, and they're using this uh, growth uh, factor in spinal fusions now to accelerate uh, spinal fusions and make them more successful. A A lot of work going on, a lot of innovation in plates and screws and with 3D printing and Making a custom bone implants and custom plates and screws to secure fractures and surgical fixations of a bone, so there 's a very exciting future for it. We may come along with a new imaging technique. nobody ever really thought about c t scanning or MRI scanning until they came along and so uh, I have to keep a very open mind about new imaging technique come along that would even give us a better understanding of bone without actually opening our bodies up and looking at it.
0: Well, we were just talking with Dr. Roy Meals. He is the author of the new book Bones Inside and Out. And Dr. Meals, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show.
1: Uh, thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me.